Hi friends, welcome to episode three of Womankind. I'm here today with Sarah Taylor, who is one of my lifelong friends. We've been friends since we were freshmen in high school and going strong ever since. So you'll hear a little bit more about Sarah's story later on, but first I'm just going to have her say hi. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Um, so this is our third episode and I just need to go back and make a correction from last week. So last week, um, on our second episode, I talked with Shannon O'Sullivan and we spent some time talking about why women change their last names. Um, and so something that I found out since the podcast has been released is that the story that I told about my mom was wrong. So I need to correct that right now. Um, she, I said last week that she did not legally change her name to her married name once she got married, um, and that was untrue. She did change her name. However, she is from a family that has three daughters, and she wanted to perpetuate her father's last name. So once she was married, she started signing her last name as her maiden name and her married last name. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. And then she did end up stopping doing that because after 9-11, there were some issues with traveling and just a lot of questions about why she was doing that. So she decided to stop doing that. Um, so just wanted to clarify that story and have some, some accurate journalism here. So this week, we have a lot in store for you. So we are going to start by talking about a word that people find very frightening. Intimidating. Intimidating. Good word. Absolutely. That word, are you guys ready for this? Feminist. Now, that word gets some reactions out of people. And so since the release of this podcast, I've experienced some of those reactions um, where I've had people that were interested in being guests on the show, but they lead with the qualifier I'm not as feminist as some of the other guests that you've had. Is that okay? Which is fine. And I've also had people specifically call me to tell me that they are not feminists. So I, I want to explore this a little bit more because I was expecting a reaction, but maybe not the reaction that I received right. um, from this. So we're going to talk about feminism and what makes it so scary. So just to give a little bit of background of the word feminism, I'm just going to go into some things that I read in a Bustle article from 2015 by a journalist named Susanna Weiss. And so going back with the origins of the word feminism, um, it was first used by Charles Fourier um, in 1837, and he was using it to describe the position that he wanted women to be in in his socialist utopian society that he was creating. So he, I guess, is the person who first used the term. Um, and then it was used by an American business magazine in the South not long after that. Um, and then here is a description from the New York Times by Carrie Chapman Catt, who was a woman's suffrage activist. Um, she described the word as, against all artificial barriers which laws and customs interpose between women and human freedom. It is born of the instinct within every natural woman's soul that God designed her as the equal, the co-worker, the comrade of the men of her family, and not as their slave or servant or dependent or plaything. So that's kind of a more concise um, description of what it meant. But um, from what I gather, it was a pretty 
kind much of how that word is up for debate today, that was still going on at that time. There was a lot of debate over what that word actually means. Um, and so just some more history, just to get a little base for what we're doing before we talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are the, there's the first, second, and third wave feminism. First wave very much focused on women's suffrage and getting the right to vote and equality under the law. Um, second wave kind of opened up more to like reproductive rights and sexuality and just um, the declaration that women are people and individuals and deserve um, equality regardless of those things. Um, and then now we're currently in the third wave, which is just kind of questioning the, the binary um, model of having two sexes and just opens it up more to the LBGTQ community. So just a little bit of history there. Um, but at its most basic definition, and I think Sarah would agree with me, it, totally. is, it just means feminism is equality between the sexes. Would you agree with that definition? Yeah, yeah, actually, just before we started, that's exactly what it means. And just to give you a, a story, I mean, I was there when a couple people have actually said those comments to you in mm -hmm. response to coming on the podcast and saying, I'm not a feminist, or I, I don't think I'm feminist enough. And I guess my one question that I always like go back and challenge them with is, well, do you believe women should have the right to vote? And every time their answer is, well, yes. And I was like, well, then I consider you to be a feminist. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's not, I mean, this, this podcast is called Womankind. It's, I am a feminist. And I guess in some ways you could say that the podcast itself is inherently feminist, but it's not necessarily a feminist podcast. That's not, I mean, today that's the topic, but that's not necessarily the topic every time. Um, but I, I, it was just interesting to have that reaction as such a scary topic to discuss. Yeah, like I consider feminist a very inclusive term. And so I don't understand like wanting to distance yourself from that term. And that's just me, of course. Like I'm, I'm really using the first person. Like that's just my response to that because it always seems like a very inclusive word to me, like a, a happy word mm -hmm. to me. Well, I think that that is the issue because I also, from the same article, it mentioned that there is a hashtag currently that is hashtag women against feminism uh, because the argument of people that don't. Believe, I, I don't even know if saying that they don't believe in fe feminism is the right way to describe it, um, but they, those people think that feminism is actually counterproductive to women's rights, which I don't understand because feminism is fighting for the equality of men and women. It's like women who are against the ERA. Like, they think it's too much legislation mm -hmm. and over-presuming that women weren't equal in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I, I get that, but it's kind of not being able to see the forest for the trees. I don't know that it's putting it's putting almost too much importance on the the label. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of women who say they aren't feminists really are in practice and in things that they believe in and things that they've done in their life, but the term is very scary to them or combative to them in some way. Mm -hmm. And I guess that... I mean, when we both hear that word, we like you said, it's it's inclusive. Um, we feel valued. 
but I guess some people don't, and they see it as divisive and and frightening. Um, so um, just to kind of carry this on a little bit, I think it would be a good idea to have someone on who finds this word so scary, because I feel like we're just coming to the same conclusion. We're like, yeah, we agree. <clears throat> yeah, we need like a panel. <laughs> Of why that word is so scary. So that might be something we have to revisit in a future episode, for sure. I will submit questions for that episode. <laughs> I do need to get more than one microphone before that happens. You gotta get ready, Kels. <laughs> Alright, so we will get into a little bit more of Sarah's story now. So I would like to hear a little bit more about how you define yourself as a woman in 2017. Sure. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for having me. I think this is awesome, and I'm so excited for more episodes. Um, so thank you for having me. Um, so Kelsey had asked me to be on the podcast, and one of the questions was to define kind of who I am as a woman and how it is to be a woman in 2017. And so it got me thinking about <clears throat> um, looking back at my life and what my story is. I think... Uh, my life is a story of like adaptation. I'm always moving around figuratively or literally. Um, I do a lot of things on impulse and from day to day, what's important to me or what I prioritize changes. Um, that's the way it's been for a long time. <clears throat> but there are th some things that I can definitely say have stayed the same and some things that I can definitely identify as. So um, I'm a businesswoman. I have my MBA from the University of Buffalo. Um, I'm an immigrant from England. My parents came here when I was four years old, and we've lived in the Buffalo area ever since. Um, I'm also a U.S. citizen. Um, those are important labels, especially at this time in 2017, that I want to own. Um, in terms of family, I'm a daughter. I'm a granddaughter, a great-niece. I'm a sister and an aunt. Um, and I'm also a friend. I am here with Kelsey, and like she mentioned, we've known each other for more than half our lives. And so friendships like this are really important to me. Um, so I think that's an important label that I want to actively and verbally announce that I am. Um, and I'm also a feminist, as we've already discussed. <laughs> um, but again, I think in especially in 2017, um, it's a label that I want to say out loud. So, um, that's pretty much my story. <laughs> well, I asked that question, um, very open-endedly to people because I, it's interesting to see every week how people define themselves and yeah. people pull different things. And I don't want to put people in a box as describing, okay, so tell me what your career is and that's how we'll define you because we've listed so many things that go into being a woman that, um, you just fill those roles as well. And so it's more than just right. what you do for a living. And I think if you asked me on a different day, my definition might have been different. But today I'm focused on what my, how are my relationships define who I am and some labels that I find really important and that I'm trying to live up to. So that's how I defined it. So what is your favorite part of being a woman, of all those different things that we just talked about? Um, I think being a woman, especially in 2017, is that of adapting. You are always trying to figure out 
what's your next move? What's, um, you know, what do you want to do in your relationships and life and business where you live, everything. And so I like that a lot. I would also say one of the biggest and most rewarding parts of my life is my female friendships. So to get all mushy, but, um, (laughs) it's my favorite part of being a woman is sharing similar, um, milestones, like life milestones with people and other women around me and having that go over years and years and years of friendship. So, And Sarah and I come from a group that we have been with for a very long time. Um, we all went to high school together and we remain in touch and very much involved in each other's lives. And it is nice to have that support. And I do think I don't know necessarily, and that's true of anything that we're talking about, I don't know necessarily that these things are unique to women, which also drives the point home that being a woman is just being a human. <laughs> yeah. I think there are certain like milestones of womanhood, though, that are amplified and made more important by being around other women. Mm-hmm. Like anything from having your period, mm-hmm. like menstruating to like even societal rituals like we have around baby showers and wedding showers and things like that where they're made more important and more valuable when you do them with your women friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is some differentiation where like it's it's important for women to support each other with friendship. Mm-hmm. So what are the hardest parts of being a woman? Well, Kelsey, (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, I think it's something we don't talk about enough as a society, but it's uh, related to women's health in general, but um, on a more individual and day-to-day level, it's really hard to have a period every 28 days if you're lucky and healthy. Um, And I think that... Anywhere from healthcare to the workplace to even how humans treat each other in public bathrooms, having a period as part of your daily life as a woman is really actually hard. And we don't talk about it like that. We don't talk about it as a hardship. But for women especially who don't have the means to to always provide themselves with like the needs that they need during that time of the month, I think it is a hardship. And I um, just wanted to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. That it sucks, having a period. And it's, I mean, I Jen said this back in episode one about how she believes that women should be worshipped for the ability to give birth. Yeah. Um, but that is not something that we see. And it is something, and this is a story that I've told Sarah before, um, I feel like it's something that is sometimes ingrained as something you should be ashamed of mm-hmm. or should be really kept private. And I remember when I was in college, I worked at a coffee shop um, in a hospital. And uh, one day I got my period and I didn't have any tampons. So I went to the gift shop and the, the women that worked in the gift shop were volunteers and they were women who were past their careers and who were coming back to volunteer. And I bought a box of tampons and I was going to walk back to the coffee shop across the lobby. And so I didn't have it in a bag and I went to walk away and the woman behind the counter said, Oh honey, you shouldn't be walking across the lobby, letting everyone see that you have your period. And I looked at her and I was like, why? I I didn't understand why it was something 
that I, I didn't even consider getting a bag, but she really insisted upon me having a bag because I shouldn't let people know that this is happening to me. And I, I, I don't know why. It's really unfortunate because, I mean, like, having a regular period is a sign of health. Mm -hmm. It is a sign that all of your systems are working properly, and it's a sign of health to be regular, and it's something you should be really happy about. I, I'm whining about it as in terms <laughs> of, like, having to buy tampons and be uncomfortable and be tired and still have to do everything that we have to do, but... <clears throat> um, but it's a it's a good thing actually, and so I used to resent it, especially when I was younger. I got my period very early, um, but I used to resent it very heavily, and now I'm more like kind of proud of it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm healthy, and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's. I think maybe because Sarah and I went to an all-girls school together, um, so I think that we did maybe talk about it a little bit more, and people were a little more graphic with their descriptions yeah. of it. But and it was normalized. Right. Like, no one had to hide a tampon going to the bathroom, right. and that's why you probably thought it was, like, weird. Exactly. That's why I found it so shocking in the situation that someone was alluding to the fact that I should be ashamed or secretive. But good. Like, I'm glad that we came of age from mm -hmm. 14 to 18 in a place that was, like, mm -hmm. fine with it. Mm -hmm. It's part of... And it, it made it not only normalize that it was something that you had to go to the bathroom and deal with, but it also made it normal that, like, everyone has it. It's not just you. It's not just, like, a plague on you. It's... This is, like, part of being a woman. Mm -hmm. And it it is not valued legislatively, um, we've talked about this before, that there is a luxury tax imposed on feminine products, and where is the luxury in this? Nowhere. <laughs> it's like we have to pay a tax on something that we need because we're expected to, even if you have your period, you're expected to get up and go to work in the morning and do whatever it is you have to do and not ever indicate that you have like a headache or you're bloated or you are having bad feelings. And I don't know. That's there. There is no luxury <laughs> in having to effectively wear a plug or a diaper or a diva cup or a whatever you know choice that you make, but there isn't luxury in having like blood everywhere. And furthermore, I have I will cite the Lady Lovin podcast for this, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. They had a guest on from uh, who is the creator of the Lola Lola Tampon Company, and mm. on that an episode of the podcast. This is going back maybe a year or two now, she talks about how um, tampon companies do not have to disclose the contents of their tampons. And going back as far back as like the 1980s, I believe, um, tampons were made with synthetic products. And those synthetic products are the products that cause women to have toxic shock syndrome because you're putting something that is not natural in your body for extended periods of time, 
Um, and toxic shock, shock syndrome is something that you're warned about on every single box of tampons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a potentially fatal condition. Um, and so that can be, I don't want to say that it's Im- impossible because I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, I don't know. But if you use natural products, the chances of that happening are very less likely. So Lola, they make their tampons entirely out of um, cotton, a natural product, and that really lessens the chance of someone getting toxic shock, toxic shock syndrome. Uh, but the creator of this company said that she, this is something she feels really strongly about, and it was very important to her. And so, in trying to um, get other companies on board with this, she was presenting to men, and they didn't understand why we would need to work on this, why the FDA should be required to disclose the contents of their product. And I think still to this day, they're still not required to disclose the contents, even though they're contents that could be potentially harmful to the people that have to buy this product. Right. Like, these things are not optional. I mean, I guess they are, but not in a society where you have to go to work. Right. Or you need to go take care of your children in public. You could sit at home and not wear them, but that's a choice, a very, like, career-limiting choice. It's a very, like, public life-limiting choice. I mean, I suppose you could use a pad instead of a tampon, as I'm sure many women do, but I I don't know. That's not the choice of most people. Right. Because there's a comfort element, mm-hmm. which... And there's a hygiene element, too. There is a hygiene element, too. You're right. Um, I just don't think we should have to make these kinds of choices between Mm -hmm. comfort, hygiene, and, like, internal health. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think some companies or men hear that word choice, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, so you guys do have a choice, so just choose the cheaper one, or choose the the one that doesn't give you toxic shock syndrome, but I don't know. Like, in reality of being a woman, having this happen every 28 days, that is not a choice Mm -hmm. that you should, in 2017, have to even make. Like, these things shouldn't be mutual exclusive. Something that is safe, affordable, not not luxury taxed, Mm -hmm. and, like, halfway comfortable, please. I mean, nobody is super excited about having to go out and spend money on this product, but you, you do. You have to. Right. Hmm. Now I'm mad. <laughs> um, what do you think, and this you may have answered this question already, but what do you think the world needs to know about women? Um, <laughs> I think, like we've just talked about, to be honest, I don't want to keep harping on this issue, but I think um, that the world needs to know that women who menstruate regularly are healthy like that's a sign of health and shouldn't be stigmatized and that um it's not a bad thing and that's what I think we need to remind each other of sometimes um and also have the rest of the world hear that more often I mean and I feel like it is stigmatized a lot on especially like on tv in the media Mm -hmm. I can't think of I can think of countless shows where Someone just says, like, oh, I'm having women's trouble, and then from there, it, you know, the the male that they're talking to, the male gym teacher or whatever, phys ed teacher, um, then just is like, oh, okay, whatever you want. Um, I think it's something that 
And it is something that both men and women learn about in school. Um, but I think that there does need to be more of a normalization of it because I know um, grown men who don't know how long a period is or don't know um, some of the things that come along with it. And I kind of question how they didn't know that, right. but it's because it's not talked about. But <clears throat> when things like that that are related to a vital... Um, normal health cycle are not known or ignored um, or when like the symptoms of this is parodied in the media like that gets to be dangerous when people don't take these things seriously it graduates to other things related to women's health not being taken seriously and so I think these things do have real consequences on a bigger stage. Absolutely. Um, and it's not funny. Sorry. Like, it's not funny when a mm -hmm. woman is, like, cranky. She's not, like, always just, like, PMSing. I mean, even we saw it in a lot of the election. Oh, that, sh you know, someone who has PMS shouldn't have access to the nuclear codes. Right. How about someone who's even more volatile, who doesn't even get a period? Right. So, like, we saw a lot of that. And so that's an example of how things can escalate. And it gets really... Um, dangerous. It affects women's lives, it affects legislation, it affects U.S. elections. And um, so, I don't know, I think that's what I'd like everyone to just have some more consciousness mm -hmm. about thinking about what's normal for women, um, for women's health, and also that a period's not something to laugh about, it's not something to be scared about. Um, and a period is not controversial. There are some women's health issues that are definitely controversial right um but it's just a fact like every right. woman gets a period right. it's not there's you can't right. argue about it it just is right so i i'm with you on that 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 needs to be something that is more normalized yeah so what changes would you like to see in the future don't make women? me don't make me keep going on the period <laughs> comments kelsey but I will. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get into um, stories of subversion now. And so Sarah has one that she is going to talk about. Yes. And it's one that Kelsey and I have been talking about for 16 years mm -hmm. now. <laughs> True. Um, and it's someone that I just have always looked up to. It's someone that I've always admired. Um and I want to talk a little bit today about Katherine Hepburn, the actress. Um, she has always kind of interested me. I've read a tons of tons of books on her. I've done tons of research on her. In high school, I was like obsessed with her. Um, but I want to talk about how I've been thinking about her lately and how um, some of the examples of subversion in her life kind of have really come to the top of mind for me lately. So. Katherine Hepburn was um, an actress. She was a very successful actress. She um, spanned several decades, and she lived until 2003, and she died in her 90s, which is um, a testament to her physical routine. She would get up every morning and swim. She would get up every morning and play tennis, like even into her 90s. Um, but she was very dedicated to her craft as well as an actress, um, she had 12 Oscar nominations and four Oscar wins, which was the most until um, 
I think Meryl Streep tied her in wins um, and overtook her in nominations in the 2000s. But that's something that she held for a very long time as kind of like a, a record. Um, but there's a story that I really like about Katherine Hepburn, and it relates to her as a businesswoman, actually. Um, something that she wasn't really known for. But she had a movie in the 30s that she was um, labeled box office poison. And so, so her career was really... Um, kind of on a downturn after she won her first Oscar, and it was the 30s, so it was very, very early in her career, and she decided to make her own comeback vehicle, and she got a, a starring role in a play called The Philadelphia Story, and she had her boyfriend at the time, Howard Hughes, who was a, a millionaire. Um, he actually recognized that, kind of recognized what she was going to try to do with this play, and he bought the rights to the play for her. And she took it a couple steps further and actually like optioned the rights to the play as a movie to MGM and then dictated that she be the star of the movie. And she dictated who her male co or co-stars would be, Cary Grant and um, Jimmy Stewart. And the, and the movie and the play were both huge successes and she was kind of back at the top of her game. But she manipulated all these forces and had the help of her friends also um, and she also got to choose who the, who the director was, who was a homosexual director named George Cukor, who was one of her lifelong friends. And so I kind of like a couple of things about that story that she, especially in the time of like studio executives and studio movie making, she wrote her own ticket and she had the help of her friends. She, and then she able to support her friends as well and like name them as co-stars and directors. So I really like that story about her in terms of like being a businesswoman, which is not something that she would have been known for. Um, besides stories like that, where she routinely took control over producing and appointing directors and co-stars for movies, um, she was very private. She has a very private life. And there's always been a lot of speculation about her life. Um, and she's also like often known for a really long spanning relationship she had with Spencer Tracy, who was a married, um, actor. Um, she never had children and she was, especially after Tracy's death in the sixties, she was, um, kind of speculated to be a lesbian or bisexual, but she, of course she never said anything like that. She's very fiercely protective of her privacy often just like kind of retreating to her family home in Connecticut and I kind of admire that as well that she never commented on anything that had to do that didn't have to do with her work and so lately some of those things have been um coming up for me is that's really different especially in the movie industry and I respect it and she also has some amazing hilarious quotes about just life in general <laughs> one of which I quoted as my senior quote in <laughs> high school and something that I've been really thinking about a lot lately, um, and that quote is, if you always do what interests you, at least one person is pleased. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to please myself and interest myself. I like that quote a lot. Me too. <laughs> I wonder, so I I really didn't know who Katherine Hepburn was until I heard from you, and I was like, who is this person? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I the more I read into her, the more interested I was in her. And I actually ended up doing a project when we were sophomores on her because I borrowed a book from you mm -hmm. and I had to 
dress up as Katherine Hepburn and be her and give a speech. Lucky you. <laughs> I, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> but I just wonder, like, I do admire that, how private she was. I just wonder if you, if a celebrity would be able to get away with that in our society today. No I feel like we live in such a different world with social media and, mm-hmm. like, everyone is able to participate in everyone's lives. And I don't... Think yeah, she could do that. Today. I don't think she could either. That's a really good point. Um, there, like, she and again, like, she had a lot of friends who would actually like buy photos of her and Spencer Tracy mm-hmm. from photographers so they wouldn't get published because she was very protective of him. He was in a, um, he was in a marriage the whole time that they were together until his death. Um, and so it was really tricky. It was a very tricky time and a very tricky relationship, but, um, she always kind of was able able to maneuver those things that I don't think could happen now where um, social media is mm-hmm. on top. Of I mean, isn't that hilarious that her friends could buy the one copy of the one photograph right. today? Like, every single person. If she went to a restaurant, every single person in there considers themselves to be a journalist and they're posting that picture. Right. And... Like, you can't buy a hashtag mm-hmm. off of Twitter. Although that's a great business idea. Just mm-hmm. write that down. I will. <laughs> Uh, so Catherine Hepburn, she is our subversive lady of the day. Um, we also have a second one that we are going to discuss, and that person is Lindy West. And so I had never heard of her prior to my boyfriend buying me her memoir for Christmas. Um, and then after reading it, I um, learned a lot about her, and I, I'm surprised actually that she wasn't more on my radar. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read. Um, a description of her from her website just to give you guys a sense of what she does and what she has done. So Lindy West is a columnist at The Guardian, um, a contributor to This American Life, and a freelance writer whose work focuses on feminism, social justice, humor, and body image. Her work has appeared in The New York Times, Cosmopolitan, GQ, Vulture, Jezebel, The Stranger, and others. She is the founder of I Believe You, It's Not Your Fault, an advice blog for teens, as well as reproductive rights destigmatization wow, that word, destigmatization campaign, hashtag shout your abortion. Um, and so uh, just from reading, I mean, I, I think that she's a great writer and I found her to be hilarious. I was um, laughing out loud in the first chapter of Shrill, um, but she also, so the title of her book is Shrill Notes from a Loud Woman. Um, and it, it just kind of read. it's a memoir, so it just kind of reads as a series of essays about her life. Um, but I, I found it funny right away. Uh, the first chapter, she, she, she's a big proponent in the fat acceptance movement. And so the first chapter of the book talks about the role models that she had growing up in cartoons. And the answer was that she didn't really have, like the one that sticks out to me is like Baloo from the Jungle Book, because right. that's how, and, and then the Queen of Hearts, because that's how, um, that people are portrayed in those movies. And so that's just a new way for me, at least to look at that. Yeah, it was, that was really interesting how that's how the, the book opened. And I actually, so I listened to her audiobook of Shrill and she actually performs the audiobook. Like I really like listening to memoirs. Oh, it's her voice. It's her voice. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like listening to memoirs where, where the author actually is speaking. Cause mm-hmm. I think it adds a little bit more to it, mm-hmm. especially in some of the, essays when she was talking about um her childhood you could really there was some emotion behind some of the comments and it was it was 
a really great audiobook. I I enjoyed it. I listened to it up on your recommendation. I thought she was really funny. Um, but after I read the book, I, I agree with you. I had never heard of Lindy West, and I would have thought she would be more on our radar, and I'm glad mm -hmm. she is now, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. um, but after I listened to the book, I um, wanted to know more about her, so I read online about her. I read some of her articles, and I tried to look for her on social media. She hasn't been on Twitter or hasn't posted on Twitter in the last couple of years, which makes sense because she comments and she writes a lot about online abuse that she um, experienced and probably still experiences for things that she's written, how she looks, what she says. I mean, she was a major target of trolls and yeah. actually Time Magazine, I'm, I think this is 2015, in 2015, they did a, a feature talking about trolls and the different people that are targets. And she was one of the people uh, that was brought up in this article along with, um, what's her, the one from Ghostbusters. Melissa McCarthy? No. Leslie Jones. Yes. Is that her name? I think so. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. Um, but th those two were featured as major targets of trolling. Yeah. And so she hasn't been on, so Lindy West hasn't really posted on Twitter, um, but she d is pretty active on Instagram. And so that was like interesting to see. She had a lot of um, things from her life, from from works that she's working on, and then also like her movement, hashtag shout your abortion, um, which I had some feelings about. All right. So share your feelings. I didn't love it. I don't like... I don't like it. I don't know if it's, and I think it has, I'm owning that it, I think it has a lot to do with my Catholic upbringing, the way I feel about abortion rights in general, which is very ambivalent depending on the situation. I will be very honest. Um, I think that abortion should be legal, safe, and rare. And I, I just don't know how I feel about someone wearing a t-shirt, hashtag shout your abortion. It just gave me a lot of feelings, which I think is probably the point of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is to bring up discussions like this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I definitely had a, a visceral reaction to that. And that, again, might just be because of my upbringing in a right. Catholic family, in Catholic schools, where um, you don't, either you don't talk about it or it's demonized. And right. so it, that, that for me was new to me to read it portrayed that way. Yeah, I think um, she, because a lot of the, the campaign is that abortion is freedom, but I think choice is freedom, which is a different concept. Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of people whose pregnancies end in abortion, um, the choice comes a lot earlier than pregnancy. Now for a lot, that's not true at all. And that's why I do think that abortion should be a legal and safe and viable option. Um, but I think choice is freedom, and that's probably the message that I'm going to try and take from her campaign, not necessarily that abortion is is freedom. Mm -hmm. And that is to say, I mean, I appreciate the idea of being able to look at someone who has had an abortion and in a more accepting way, because I I feel like I was always taught to not do that. Yeah. And I don't want to judge anyone for their choices, and I think people should have a choice. 
Yeah. I don't think, now that I'm thinking about it, like, I went to Catholic school for, like, 20 years. I don't think I was ever, like, told explicitly that, like, abortion is bad. I really don't think I can remember a time. Well, I guess I was, what I'm thinking of is I was always taught that every single person who gets an abortion is always sad and always regretting it and Mm. always living every single day of their life tormented by it. And, um, I guess Lindy West is one of the people among other people that I've, that have come forward recently where I've realized that that is not the case. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Um, something, she is also very candid in talking about her period and I really appreciate that. Yeah. And that goes along with what we were talking about earlier, um, with normalizing that. I... Also, going kind of going back to how she was a target for trolls, mm-hmm. um, she made a really good point about how... So she, she's <clears throat> been published in, in things like Jezebel and The Stranger, like um, lots of online sources for her material, and it's a, a major part of her career and her life. And she talked about how like online and, and anonymous bullying and anonymous trolling... Um, it's not just like virtual abuse, like it's actual like physical, actual abuse where it's time lost, like deleting shitty emails. Mm-hmm. It's time lost blocking people on Twitter. And she talked about a time when she actually like called the FBI and the woman was extremely dismissive and it got her thinking about, you know, what is what are her sources of recourse for these situations? Because She's lost the ability to publish without comment and um, having comments on works that she's done years ago that will never die and comments that will be up there forever until the actual website decides to take them down or moderate them more aggressively. So um, that made it really real to me and someone and I don't I don't have a a great online presence, to be honest. Um, I don't post things on social media for the most part. but it made me think as this is her business. This is like how she makes a living is writing. And a lot of times writing for a comment and writing for a discussion. And what she gets in return is not just like virtual like hate. It's things that take up time in her life that she can't get back. Um, so I really liked when she talked about that. It made it very, very real for me. And she gave like some like really tangible examples that I have, I'm still thinking about weeks after I listened to the book. The one example that she does give is that one of the trolls had actually taken the time to do some research on her and found out that her father passed away mm-hmm. and made some very disparaging comments about her father and even, I think, like pretending to be her father, speaking from beyond the grave, which at, in a position of someone who's grieving to hear that, that would be horrible to hear. Yeah. And I just... She, she did have, I think it was that person where she had the experience where she ended up responding and kind of humanizing herself in that person's eyes and that person did apologize. But it just goes to show that, I mean, I, a lot of websites are doing away with their comment sections and yeah. I'm assuming it's because of this, but like people that are trolling other people, it's not a, it's not clever. It's not like a thoughtful commentary or criticism. It's just spewing hatred at people for a purpose that I don't really understand. I I understand the appeal. I understand the appeal of being angry anonymously. 
or like entertaining yourself kind of in a sick way anonymously. I understand the appeal for some types of people, but the fact that it's affecting people's lives and time and career and, and kind of self-image and, and I just, it's not a joke. It's real. It affects, it has real effects on people's lives. And that's why I think some of the things that we could do to like combat those things are things like this, where you get a chance to put your name on it and say exactly who you are, what you think. And so that's definitely what the book show is about too, where she's very unabashedly saying things um, that she believed in and has worked on for several years. And I, so I really appreciated listening to, to, to that. But I just feel like in her position, I don't think I would read. It's it's felt very much to me like she was reading every single comment and taking it a lot of it very personally, and I feel like I would want. And I don't know if I could do this if I were or in her mm-hmm. position, but I would like to be a bit more dismissive of those people. Yeah, that's a good point. I think there's also probably um, uh, an ego element, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I'm not attributing that to her. But if I were in her shoes, I would have a hard time not reading things about myself mm-hmm. um but you're right I could see you dismissing comments very <laughs> easily and just be like oh I'm not reading that well we'll see if I get any comments trolls come on <laughs> trolls no do not come on leave Kelsey alone um I to go back to um the fat acceptance movement mm. and I'm calling it that because that's what she calls it yeah but I feel like she that was something else that I really, um, she framed in a different way for me to understand. And uh, since reading that book, I've been more on the lookout for things that I see and hear and just how people who are fat are just portrayed as a joke or disgusting. And I can't imagine having to relate to that and think like, oh, that's me that is being portrayed that way. Mm-hmm. That it, it was, she really put that in into perspective for me in a way that I hadn't before. Um, because we are definitely taught through the media that anyone who is overweight are, they are um, basically like gross and they need to work on that. And then once they're skinny, life can begin. Mm-hmm. And so Lindy West really puts that in perspective where, you know, even if she isn't the I quote ideal weight of society that doesn't mean she's not a person and not living a life that is worth things right yeah I I had some I was very skeptical of a lot of comments that she made in relation to the fat acceptance movement around like she was very kind of on the attack about obesity being labeled um, an epidemic which I think that it is as a five foot one woman, it's really easy to be overweight. So, but I didn't really identify with her on a lot of those things, which I thought was weird. I was like, I'm like not an ideal societal weight for being five one. And I don't have this kind of like needing to be part of a hashtag movement. Mm-hmm. I don't. So for that, I was like, should I, should I be? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to accept the way that I am. Like I want to always be like continuing to improve and again it goes back to like what we talked about at the outset of this is adapting like Mm -hmm. tomorrow maybe I won't be fat like nothing is forever and so I didn't like how it felt like she was like settling into this 
I'm not saying she should have to work out and lose a bunch of weight, but like, I think that's more me projecting, but. Well, I think the point that she made is that about herself is that she is clinically a healthy person yeah, and she doesn't need to lose weight to be healthy. Um, and that is something I mean, and she said that people would look at her and think, oh, she's not healthy, but she, like, from a doctor's perspective, she is, yeah. and that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand or consider. Yeah. So, we love Lindy West, and she put yeah. things into perspective and helped us have more conversations about this stuff, which I think is important. Yeah, she definitely made us think, and she was really funny. Like, yes. her book was really funny. She had some really hilarious um commentaries on things just as her life as a writer and kind of in the things we've talked about so i I would recommend the book absolutely i would recommend it too i did recommend it to you 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 did (laughs) recommend again (laughs) um so sarah is there anything that you would like to leave us on anything that we didn't get to that you would like to share with the world I don't, not today. I think I'll be back if you don't Oh, you will be back. (laughs) I think I'll definitely be back. And I think the thing I like to leave everyone with today is be kind to each other. And we'll see you next week. Guys, remember, you can find this podcast on iTunes. And you should like and subscribe and rate it. So, because that will make me very happy. And don't troll it. All right. Well, thank you and listen for the next episode. Bye.